So Money episode 357, So Money Millennial, our teen Arab Shahi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Millennial Week continues, and today we've got a family friend on the show, a good friend and college buddy of my brother, Todd. Many of you know Todd. You've heard Todd. Our teen Arab Shahi is here. Now, he recently made the Forbes 30 under 30 list for 2016 in the venture capital category. And our teen, I mean, he's just one of those guys where you just know he's on to accomplishing big Big things, big things with our teen. In 2013, our teen joined as the number two at Carlin Ventures, an LA-based early stage fund with investments, and you might have heard of these companies, Gift, Laurel and Wolf, Suro Secure, and many others. Now, before investing in enterprise software and marketplaces, our team spearheaded the launch of Build in LA. It's an online community for digital entrepreneurs and innovators. And outside of his work with startups, our team sits on the board of TEDx Venice Beach, and he's an active supporter of To Write Love on Her Arms, which is a nonprofit raising awareness and support for mental health. He also teaches at General Assembly and the Unique Camp. Our teen is a natural people person. I've known him for many years now. It's something that all of us identify in him. He's an extrovert. How does he harness that to then build his career, to advance in his career? How does our teen make decisions when it comes to the next steps in his career? He doesn't really listen to a lot of people. He talks about his strategy. And how does this so many millennial manage his money? What are some of the investments that haven't done so well for him? And how is he trying to make the most of his paycheck? Here is Arteen Arab Shahi. Arteen, Arteen Arab Shahi, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Everyone, Arteen is a family friend. He's a good friend and college buddy of my brother, Todd, who, who, who has made some special appearances on, on So Money in the past. Some of you, I think, have crushes on Todd. It's kind of cute. I have a crush on Todd. <laughs> I have a crush on Todd. A, a sister crush. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And is also a sister crush on <laughs> Arteen, welcome to the show. And congratulations, my friend. You're, I had to have you on So Money Week, So Money Millennial Week. You're made, uh, you made the 30 under 30 list Thank for you. Forbes. We are so proud of you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
And you're also Iranian, so we got to talk a little about that eventually we, on the show oh, there's, too. Don't worry, there's there's a couple <laughs> shout outs to the heritage. Yeah, it's in here. I wrote um, it all. In. <laughs> well, let's start with your your latest claim to fame, which is the thirty under thirty title uh, recognition. We actually had dinner when I was out in LA filming for the CNBC show. We, you're you're based out there now. You work for Carlin Ventures. Um, <clears throat> You told me that I wasn't expecting you to tell me this, that you campaigned for 30 under 30. I didn't know you could even do that. Take us to behind the scenes. Like if anyone out there, you're in your 20s and your goal is to get on this list because it really can catapult you into um, significance, you know, from obscurity maybe to significance and then um, maybe even get you to earn a raise at work. Um, You campaigned for it. Tell us your strategy. Yeah. So, okay. So I think, um, excuse me, I think that, the thing about 30 under 30, which is amazing about it, is that there's just like this incredible platform that like, you know, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that like it wasn't a goal of mine, right? Like it's one of those things where you see it and you always kind of, uh, they've done a really, really good job of making it incredibly aspirational. Um, and, and, and it's super cool when, when your kind of reality aligns with, with your aspirations. Um, so that's definitely like what I've been most excited about with it. But, but yeah, in terms of like how, you know, the structure worked and all that type of stuff. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the way that it, it's formally put out is in October, there are there are nominations and, and it's a mix of, um, you know, there's an online nomination where you fill out like bio and all these kind of questions about you and whatnot. Uh, but then there's also like a social media component where there's like a hashtag. And if you get a bunch of people to kind of uh, shout you out using that hashtag, it's helpful and all these types of things. Um, but there's also kind of like the behind the scenes stuff, which I, I definitely, you know, and, and this is my story, right? Maybe, maybe this was something that I had to do because I <laughs> was on the low end of the totem pole of the list and, 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 and I, and I kind of campaigned my way onto it. But, but I, I genuinely think that it becomes to a point where you're like, okay, um, I think I'm at a place in my career and my age and all this type of stuff where I have a shot, right, at, at making the list. And and once you feel that way, um, there are a few things that you can do to like to, to to really emphasize that. And so for me, it really was was a mix of kind of reaching out to friends who um, who had been on the list in the past and basically having this conversation with them, like, hey, like, what did the list look like for you? How did you make it? Um, what was you know what was your uh, goal to, to, to reach it and all those types of things. And how did you go about it? And for me, that looked a lot like, okay, well, like now that I know these people who have all been on the list in the past, I feel like I am at a level of, of quote unquote relevance, I guess, where it's like at least not out of the picture. Um, let me ask them to put in, put in good words. Right. And so I think that, um, in, in many ways, you know, the, the formal nomination, all that type of stuff is very important and helpful when your resume matters a ton. Um, but I also think that, you know, when you have these trusted people talking to the the judges and, and the people who are deciding on the list, it, it's super helpful, right? And so I think that was a big part of it for me, which is the fact that I've, I've been fortunate that I have um, friends and, and colleagues and whatnot who have been on the list in the past, and I kind of asked them for their honest help and, and advice. And, and it was really interesting because um, you, you don't often ask for something in your career like this. Um, and I, I'm not one to really go after accolades or chase after you know, limelight in any way. But I think that uh, it's almost humbling when you kind of reach out to these people that are good friends of yours and being like, hey, like, you know, I would love your your help. And I would love like you to put in a good word for me. And I would love um, I would love your you know, vote of confidence in this thing that is almost kind of awkward to ask about and ask for. Um, and, and so I think you have to be definitely 
you know, mindful about how you do it and stuff like that. So how and, do you and, do it? What, what were the words you used? I literally said that. I was like, you know, over coffee and stuff with friends, I'd just be like, how did you make the list? Like, what was it like for you? Um, and after they told me their story, they were all like, you know, if uh, whenever, if I can be helpful, let me know. And that conversation I had probably over the course of the last two or three years with like many people. Um, and, and it was definitely on my end, like, okay, I'm going to wait until I feel like it's the right time to ask that question. Um, and 2015 just felt like that because, uh, the fund had been doing well. I had kind of grown my role at the fund. I'd done uh, a couple one of my own deals, been really involved in a handful of other deals. So just like a lot of stuff with the career kind of aligned. Um, and it seemed like the right time and everything kind of felt good about it, um, where they, it came up organically more than anything. But I do think that there's a component of like, don't ask, don't get. Um, and, and people don't often talk about that side of it. But I think it's worth talking about because it is. You know a lot of people. So yes, you had the, um, the boldness to ask, which is sometimes like 50% of it is just asking. And just like showing up is, is such a big part of success. But you also know a lot of people. And I think what's what that is how we often characterize our teen when we're talking about you behind your back. Which is that, <laughs> you know, our teen knows everyone. Like I, I, I go to Todd and I'm like, I really want to get this guest on so money or I want to get some more cool people on so money. He's like, have you talked to our teen? He knows everybody. Yeah. Um, is that something that you feel like is your natural born instinct to just be a really great, you, you just, you get along with so many people, people love you. Like, I don't know if you have any enemies. If, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure I do. I'm sure. I, I feel like that's an asset of yours. It's a personality of yours that really sets you apart. Do you work at that? Or is that just something that comes to you naturally? Is you just are, have this emotional, it's really emotional intelligence because you have, yeah. you connect with so many different people. And in your job, that's a lot of what you do. Right. Uh, which is why you're good at your job, but it's also your personality. I, I yeah, no, totally, and and I think it's um I think it's both, right? I think that um you know the short answer is it's very much my personality, and I'm I'm naturally an extrovert, and um I think that it actually um you're right in which like people tell me that all the time where it's like wow our team like you seem to know everybody you're always with people you're very talkative like all this type of stuff um but i think what's important about all that is is that's just that's just me and who i am and the way that i have approached this career because it's who i am as a person not the other way around and i think that it's almost uh, i've seen some people try to do the the active kind of networking and meeting everybody and all that type of stuff. And I definitely do that, but it's because it's, uh, it is who I am on the inside and like what I like, like, I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love to learn people's stories. Um, I love to learn from people in ways that I don't necessarily know myself. Um, and so I think that perpetuates it for sure. Um, whereas you definitely have people who are more analytically driven, more introspective and, 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 and probably more thoughtful doing the same type of job as I do. So it's definitely like you play to your strengths and your weaknesses. And, and I kind of, Definitely doubled down on on the fact that a couple of years ago that like okay one of my strengths is my ability to meet people and to connect with people um, and and I almost hate describing it as an asset because I think the reason that I like it and the reason I'm good at it is because it's genuine it's not something that I have uh, really tried to improve on or tried to create out of nothing it's just generally who I am and and what I what I love and so that's kind of why I, I've ended up doing all this type of stuff um, that said I think <clears throat> excuse me now at this point. Um, I feel like, okay, I, I do have a great network of friends and, and, and know a lot of people and all that type of stuff. Um, I think I'm being very thoughtful personally about, um, deepening some of those relationships, right? So there's obviously 
obviously always going to be more people to meet and, and more things to learn. Um, but I've also started getting to a point where I'm like, okay, well, there are a handful of people that I really genuinely respect and trust and care about what they have to say. And, and there's so much I can learn from them. Um, let me just go deeper with those people. And, and that's actually been really, really enlightening for me as well. Um, so I think it's, it's a constant balance of both. Um, and it is, yeah, it's very much, uh, a lot of it is innate for me. Like I've always been the person who wants to know a lot of people. Um, and, and, and I don't think that's something that is necessarily the only way or the right way, but it has always been my way. It's something that you do in your twenties too. You, you just, because you're, I guess, you know, that's part of being single and, and going out as you meet people and um, it's exciting. You're very you're very much in that hyper social stage of your life. You're out yeah. socializing. Oh, yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying is that as you get a little bit older, you want to refine those relationships and identify those people that are not only that you enjoy being with the most, but that there is a, a deep reciprocity. And, yeah, absolutely. and that, that, that's smart that you're doing that. Tell us about your job. And you work in private equity, which for a lot of people, including me, it's this very mystical, like, <laughs> I don't really know what happens in private equity. I just know people make a lot of money in private equity. It, <laughs> and well, wait, for wait, someone wait, who's young to get into that industry is very difficult. So how did you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Well, first of all, uh, I'm even I'm even lower on the totem pole of, uh, of venture capital rather than private equity specifically. Um, those guys make a lot more money than I do. But what I do is essentially the same, just on a much smaller scale. Um, we we play with less dollars and, and do essentially the same thing. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, I've been with Carlin Ventures for about um, about three years. Uh, March, March will make three years for me. Um, the firm has been around for almost four years and, and yeah, our, our story is, um, uh, we are a seed and series a venture capital firm based in Los Angeles. Uh, we focus on investing in enterprise software and marketplaces. Primarily we do West coast investments just because we're a small team of three. Um, and we're based in LA, so it's easier just to be closer to our portfolio companies. Um, but we do have a couple in New York, um, and are constantly looking at, at stuff all over the place, but that's kind of the, the high level on the firm. Um, and I've been there, like I said, for about three years. I joined coming from uh, a very early stage startup background. If you had asked me 10 years ago, hey, our team, will you be a venture capitalist in, in 10 years? Uh, I wouldn't have even known what, what a venture capitalist was, to be honest. Um, and so so really, the, the way that I like to describe my job at the end of the day is that uh, <laughs> I use somebody else's money to invest in startups and we try to find like the next Google, right? I mean, that's kind of like if you, if you break down the, the job to its very, very core, and obviously there's a lot of things that go along with that. Um, that's really what we're doing is we, we try to, um, we, we're, we're fortunate enough that we have investors behind us who have given us capital that we then go and find startups that we're super excited about and, um, fit our thesis and fit kind of where we think we can add value, um, combined with where we think the founder has expertise and, and basically invest, um, for us, we'll typically invest between $500,000 up to about a million, um, in these kind of early stage companies, typically, they just put their product in market. They kind of have early signs of revenue, early signs of traction, uh, but they're not, you know, we're not basing m many of our investments on pure revenue. We're basing a lot of it on team, uh, business model, product, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what the firm does as a whole. Um, and for me, uh, it, it's, it's been really interesting. I mean, I think that the benefit of my job, right, is, is very much like you said, um, I love to meet people and, and I, I'm blessed to have a job that allows me to basically meet a lot of people who are smarter than me all the time um, and, and hope to absorb that from them. Um, You've met a lot of celebrities, too. 
indulge us. <laughs> not, not through not through my job. Not through my not job. Not through your job. Just, well, haven't you met like Ashton Kutcher? Oh, that's true. Are you on that's first name basis with Ashton? We did <laughs> one investment together, but we are not on first name basis together. I I mean, actually, I call him Ashton, but I don't think he calls me our team. <laughs> he calls you that hairy guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. I think honestly, more more celebrity spotting is just living in LA. I think my advice for people who want to just meet celebrities is move to LA. It's a lot easier than than being the the nerdy guy in venture capital. <laughs> I don't know. I was in Chelsea Market here in New York yesterday, and I ran into. Well, I didn't run into him. I was like stalking him from like ten feet away. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. Do you know who that is? He was in. Um, well, the, I didn't even know who he was really. I just like that guy's famous. He kind of looks like he was in Wolverine because he's got this like shaggy mop of hair. Um, and then I went down this like rabbit hole of trying to find him on the Internet. I'm totally doing that. And right so now. I literally Googled. <laughs> totally so do you know what right I Googled? Now. I Googled man, most actor most likely to replace Hugh Jackman in 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 no um, way in and- uh, Wolverine. Because I was like, if I was a casting agent, I would. Yeah. If he wasn't in Wolverine, he's like going to be. And do you know he was on some – there was some listicle that was like top 10 people likely to replace no Hugh Jackman way. and Wolverine. Like I know that. That's as, I just I, – call me a genius. And then he was like – I'm like, that guy, yeah. He was on the bottom of the list. Clicked so on how do I um how do I get on that list? That's actually what I <laughs> that's actually what I'm more worried about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That you know, that's actually a pretty awesome list to get on. So yeah, Timothy Oliphant. And then I like looked at his filmography and I don't even really watch any of the things that he's been in, but he's just one of those actors that you just know because as like that face. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. you've been in everything, but I don't know who you are. Right. Uh, anyway, I want to I want to be that guy. I want to be I want to be that venture capitalist like, the, oh, you're the like you've you've been in so many incredible deals. But like, I don't like how do you sneak in all these deals? Like, I'm super happy to be the guy who's like quietly invested in like mm-hmm. Facebook and like Twitter and Instagram and so on and so forth. Um, I'm not that guy, just to be clear. But <laughs> but maybe someday. Who who are the, this is a, a question that a lot of my listeners want me to start incorporating more into my interviews. But so who are the people the like the recognizable people that you consider to be? Direct mentors or indirect mentors, um, influencers yeah. in your life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, I think that it, it's a mix, right? Because I, uh, direct mentors, I think, are actually slightly less recognizable, um, and then the ind- indirect mentors are probably more more recognizable, right? So on the indirect front, um, I think that you know one of the investors who has just done an incredible job uh, is a guy named Chris Saka. Um, I'm sure many people already know who he is. Um, but but he was an early investor in, in most of those companies I just mentioned, Twitter, Uber. I think he was in Instagram. Uh, but he's also uh, – I've never actually met him in person, but I know one of his partners, Matt Mazio. Just the the, the kind of uh, – um, the way they're almost like they're ambiance, like they're, they're just like really good guys. And like, they both come from really cool operational backgrounds and they're now doing really well as investors. Um, and, and I think that they've done a really good job of maintaining this balance of being a, a founder friendly investor who also kind of has like the chops to back it up. Right. Chris was at Google, Matt was at CAA. Um, and I think just like that, uh, that type of structure is, is something that I definitely uh, think is really, really valuable and something that I would you know, aspire to. Um, and obviously, you know, they can back it up with like these incredible returns on the fund. Um, so I think I think that's definitely one that's that's um, 
that's a little more indirect just because I don't work with them that frequently. But um, on the direct front, you know, my yeah, my first job in tech was at this place called Tech Stars in Chicago. um, And I worked for a guy named Troy Hennikoff and a guy named Sam Yegan. Troy started a company called uh, Sure Payroll, which he sold to Paychex for $120 million, I think, or something like that. Oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah, So so Troy, uh, Troy was one of my bosses at Tech Stars. And then the other one was a guy named Sam Yegan who started SparkNotes, OkCupid, uh, and he was CEO of Match.com. Um, so those two guys were really like my first like deep dive into the tech industry, was just working closely with them, seeing how they operate. Um, and that was like incredibly inspirational. Um, and then the last is, is definitely my partner at my current firm, TX. Um, so TX and I have been working together for about three years now. Um, and, and he's definitely somebody I look to as a mentor just because we're very yin and yang in terms of um, skill sets and backgrounds and things like that. And so just having that complementary uh, working relationship is, is definitely been valuable for me. Um, there are so, so many more that I could go on into, but, but I think that's probably a good, uh, a good start. <laughs> Tell me about, speaking of starts, your childhood, your father's an entrepreneur, um, and your mother too. And, and yeah. so was that really where you got the bug as a kid that you always knew you wanted to, and I, and I, and I, I consider what you do very entrepreneurial because even though you don't own your own company, you're out there, you know, um, trying to find yeah. the next big entrepreneurial venture and, yep. and who's to say you yourself may not venture out on your own one day. Are you still making trips to the post office? Why? When you can get postage on demand. With Stamps.com, you can print your own postage at your convenience. I'm serious. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage 24-7. And I'm a huge fan myself. Stamps.com saves me time, and time is money. When mailing my books or important contracts, I can easily get postage and send out mail without rushing to my local post office during its limited hours. Head on over to stamps.com where you can sign up today. They're offering my listeners a special deal with promo code SOMONEY. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SOMONEY. That's stamps.com and enter SOMONEY. So um, tell me a little about your experience as a kid growing up. What was your well, – how did you think about money and business as a kid? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, first of all, thank you. I, I actually like to think of myself as an entrepreneur more than an investor as well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, look, part of it was very much for my parents. Um, the irony is that until I was 19, I actually wanted to be a surgeon. Um, and so I think growing wow. up professionally, I always had these conflicting views because my parents were both entrepreneurial, uh, but then all of their friends were doctors. And I had always, uh, I, I had always thought that the intellectual uh, component of, of being a, a doctor and a surgeon was, was just so profound and incredible. Um, but it was funny because I remember having these conversations during, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, like this whole recession. Uh, you may have heard of it. <laughs> but I would talk to my parents' friends who were who were doctors and then I would talk to my parents and their friends who were business people. And it was so funny because every single doctor was like, you should go into business. Um, there's more money there. And then every single business person was like, you should be a doctor there. It's recession proof. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And it was so funny because I literally like, not, none of that helped me make a decision around what I actually wanted to do. Um, 
But I think that uh, I think growing up, you know, the the money thing was definitely always one of those things where I just like I think my parents did a really, really incredible job of balancing this notion of making me feel um, comfortable, for lack of a better term, to be honest, like like I I, you know, am like super honest to say that like I didn't grow up with like strong, strong financial hardships or anything like that. Like I grew up relatively well off. Obviously that's a spectrum. Um, but I never felt like I had to struggle or worry about money. And I think that was definitely something my parents were, were, um, were helpful with. But on the flip side of that, I also never felt, and maybe, maybe I was, and I just didn't know, but I never felt spoiled or anything like that. I always felt, um, tremendously grateful for the things that we did have. And I think that that is actually something that I, would love to replicate, right? It's I, I think that um, ideally and, and hopefully, you know, money isn't something that uh, that you know, especially as a kid growing up, you should stress about or have to stress about. Um, and if you're if you're fortunate enough that you don't have to, um, but I also think that it's not something that anybody should ever take for granted. And I think that there's a balance there that, that my parents definitely helped me um, find uh, that that I'm not uh, that I don't take lightly. Well, I was raised with the fear of God. That's how the Iranians like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so while we had a – well, I, I think we we had maybe a less comfortable um, economic childhood than you did. But like I think it's true. You know, even with um, the, the money that my parents had, they always wanted to make sure that we never felt like we didn't have – that we that we had – we felt comfortable. Right. But there always was that expectation that you're going to work for things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was like – that was kind of um, that was kind of the thing that I think is important. It's like this this um, I, I think for me, and this really really translated towards you know later in in my career, um, the work ethic was was actually the thing that 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 was the underlying um, the underlying component, right? It's because like regardless of of level of wealth or success or whatever. Um, you know, I saw my parents work really hard all, all the time. Right. And so like that was kind of the thing. It's like, okay, like the value of money was definitely not lost upon me. Um, and so, yes, I think we, we definitely had more than the average person. Um, but it was still this point where I was like, wow, like I saw how hard they worked for each of those dollars to come together. And that's not something I take lightly. And, and even now it kind of taught me, um, to, work harder in many ways because, um, because of the fact that like I was fortunate that I didn't have to worry about, you know, the basic necessities of life growing up. So it allowed me to kind of worry about like, what's the next phase for me. And so mm. that work ethic related and translated to not just today, but you know, the way I got my job at, at Techstars was cold emailing 150 people, um, and looking for a job. And, and 150? So, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was like the whole background is, is just, I didn't have a foot in the door into the tech world. I didn't know anybody at the time who was in this industry. And I was a junior in college with no real, like I had done a little bit of, uh, of an internship in New York in an investment bank, but it wasn't relevant to what I wanted to be doing now. Um, so like how, how do I break in? And, and I literally spent Thanksgiving break of junior year of college, cold emailing a list of 150 people that I, that I wanted to work for. Um, and one of those people was Troy who I ended up working for in Chicago. And so like that level of work ethic it is instilled totally from back in the day when like I saw my parents working hard for whatever they had. And so I think that that's always been a common thread. My brother has also written, we, he was on the show and I asked him about how he got this one job and he's like, Oh, well I just emailed the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. here we are, you also telling a story about a compelling email that landed you an internship. What was in that email? Can you give us like an overarching yeah. bit of advice on how to write an, a compelling email for, to a prospective employer? Totally. Yeah. And I think um, Tim Ferriss, uh, not to 
just have a shout out for Tim Ferriss, but has an amazing, um, like, I think he's written a lot on this subject, actually. He has, like, great concepts around cold emails and, and how to get in front of people that you want to get in front of. He says, keep your emails to five sentences. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think um, his is a little more cut and dry. I, I tend to agree, though. Like, I my email when I was in college was, uh, it started out with just, like, a hi so-and-so. I spaced it down. Then I had one two-line little paragraph that said, um, like, I am so-and-so. I'm reaching out because of this. And then one other space and then another one-line thing where it was just like, I would love to talk to you about any potential opportunities with you guys this coming summer or like with your firm or whatever. And I'd say thanks. Uh, it was super, super, super short and concise. And it's just because like, you know, even even now when I'm kind of on the other side of that whole process, like if I get these really, really long cold emails, I just don't have the time to read all of it, to be honest. And like I would love to. I, I would I genuinely love to. And I answer all of my emails because of the obvious, right, where it comes to a, a, a soft spot for me. Uh, but the more concise you can make it, the more direct you can be, the more you can get to the – not necessarily get to the point, but just explain what you want, what you need, and who you are. Um, I think the more likely you are to, to get a response. Um, and finally, if you can customize it in a way that's really, really um, special to that person, it, it's important, right? So like I've written a lot um, – publicly about mental health. Um, like I've written some blog posts and things like that about that space. And I think mental health and tech and how people should talk more openly about it and stuff like that. Um, and so when I get a cold email, that's like, Artina, I read your post on medium about this, <clears throat> excuse me. And I would love to talk about X, Y, and Z. I'm going to reply to that email more likely than if I get like a 10 paragraph email from somebody who has clearly not really done the research about me and is emailing a hundred people. Um, so I think that personalization and, and mm-hmm. brevity go a really long way when you're reaching out cold. I think you're absolutely on the money there. It has to be personal. Otherwise y- you can smell a generic email after the first five words, you yep. know, if it, if it just feels like, hi, happy new year. How many times right. is it happy new year? <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I don't really care about your new year, but here's what I want from you. Yeah. Um, great. Okay. Let's talk about your biggest failure. Has RT never failed at anything and and specifically (laughs) a money failure? Um, money failure. I would say, I think it's too early to say if this is a failure. Um, but I am definitely overexposed into Bitcoin (laughs) and I'm sure you're cringing right now. Um, (laughs) but but I, I definitely uh, rode the Bitcoin bubble a little bit. Um, I'm still, I still own and hold it, and I think that there's value in what they're creating and all this type of stuff. Um, but that's probably the most like crazy financial thing that I've ever done. Is just, uh, is just, just uh, you know, throw some money into Bitcoin. I'm averaged to like a relatively decent price, and so like I'm not super worried about it. But that's definitely, I would say, to put numbers behind it, probably. 10% of my net worth is in Bitcoin right now, uh, which, which is a lot. Yeah, which is a lot. But also I, on the flip side, um, that's the I, most I should say that you really should be in like a alternative investment. Oh yeah, no. It, it, and that's just like one of my investments, right? That's not like that's it's, it's definitely risky and, and ridiculous. And I don't know if I would do it again. We'll see at this point, it's a sunk cost in my mind. Um, but, but this all goes to the fact that like what, this is millennial week, right? And, and I have very little responsibilities and obligations. And the only person I'm supporting in my life is myself. And, uh, if I lose 10% of my net worth on Bitcoin, then that's my fault and my problem. Um, but it's not going to perpetuate a problem for anybody else. Right. Um, 
Um, so that's kind of my mindset on, on, on some of the, mm-hmm. the riskier investments that I've made. Uh, but yeah, Bitcoin is probably the craziest one. Um, I also bought a lot of stock in the last like week or two. So like we'll see, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> so does your work give you a 401k or are you just like are picking yeah, stocks? I'm in, I'm in it. Uh, I use it. Um, I basically am contributing exactly what my match is. Um, that was kind of the the, the the way that I went into it. Um, actually, I think I think you and I were talking about this the other day about like hacks towards like just like like not necessarily savings, but just like money management and all that type of stuff. And the four hundred one k was is an interesting one for me because I um, I have my like biggest financial like philosophy or like you know rule that I follow is to automate everything. Um, and what I mean by that is that like my direct deposit comes and it splits into four different places and there's like prioritization of those places in the sense of like okay x amount is going into the 401k which like i'm clearly like never touching and then like another chunk is going into like a savings account which i'm pretty much never touching unless i'm like doing like an international vacation or something like that um and then there's like a utilities checking account which is like rent car payment like insurance all that type of stuff and then there's like a very 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 tiny increment that i put towards just like my day-to-day debit card. And that's usually things like um, lunch and just like these basic like expenditures that I'm like, like, you know, doing day-to-day. But I'm such like a compulsive person that I have it all split out into these like different accounts because that way, like even when I feel like I'm like spending too much money or saving money or whatever, like I actually am, it's actually not even touching like those last two layers where like my actual savings is going. So like the amount that I think I make is actually significantly different than the amount that I'm actually making. If you include where all my savings go. Yeah. And it's a great way to go about And what you just said too, is like, you wouldn't know the difference, you know, you, you wouldn't, I mean, you don't know the difference because this is just at the end of the day, this is what you're getting. You know, you've made these decisions, you've made these, these decisions once to make these automatic deferrals and now you just you you exist off of the what's remaining from that and and but you know you had you had to save on your own write yourself a check or funnel right. money like it would exactly. just never would have happened exactly and i know i know that about myself like i'm like a i'm a pretty hyperactive person like i don't think of myself as a lazy person <laughs> but i definitely am like uh, I can get caught up in in like the wrong minutia sometimes, and so like the the process of like oh I gotta go to the bank or like I gotta like go online and transfer this into that like I would so much rather just have it all be done. Yeah, who has for the me. time? Yeah, it's you're just busy. Worth- you're busy campaigning for forty under forty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If anyone's listening, forty under forty, <laughs> here, here I come. <laughs> so, to, is there pressure now that you've and I and I should say you connected me to some of the other so many millennial guests this week, including Bing yeah. and Kevin um, and and Hannah and and so tell me now, is there like all this pressure to live up to the title? Um, you know, I I think that the reason I even got to a place where that accolade. Um, was relevant for me is actually that I I try to live my life in silo of external pressures. Like I, the things that I have done, I've done because I've wanted to do and because they've made me happy and they motivate me. Um, rather than like, it wasn't like I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this so that I can get Forbes 30 under 30. Obviously I'm very appreciative and happy and, and excited that I, that those things, you know, come to fruition in that way. Um, 
but I, I think that it actually comes with, it comes with like the gift and the curse of options now where it's like, Hey, um, this is an amazing stamp of approval to show that some of the stuff that I've been really passionate and motivated about and worked really hard towards was going in the right direction. And, and now there's some kind of credibility around that. So that's definitely been my favorite part around it. Um, but I, th- I think that the pressure, um, is more around the notion of like, okay, now it's a self-directed decision. And, and I would say that's something that as like millennials, um, it's probably the, the greatest gift that I've gotten in my career is now I feel like I'm at a point where, um, I have, uh, I've established myself. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm proving myself to anybody or anything like that, um, which is great. But on the flip side, it becomes like, okay, well now when you have, um, you know, different routes that you can take in your career while you're still relatively young, um, you want to make sure that you make the right decision. And for me, the right decision, what I've realized is not necessarily the, the smartest decision or the one that's going to make me the most money or the one with like the, you know, fastest career trajectory or anything like that. It's really the one that's like, okay, this is like what I'm aligned with, what I care about, what makes me happy, what motivates me personally. Because if I follow that, I can't really make a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the light of, of all the options and all the, all the kind of pressure and external stress and all that type of stuff. So I, I, I try to, I try to introspect more than, more than listen to, um, the surroundings when it comes to that. It's, it's very profound. It's hard to do. And, but there is a reason there is that saying that follow what you love, do what you love and the money will follow. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that because we also remember a funny story you shared with us. You share with all your friends and family a funny story when you told your dad that you were going into private equity. He was kind of like, what? (laughs) I don't think my dad knows what I do even now. Um, (laughs) I I, I honestly don't think he he knows what I do now. I will say uh, uh, he did text me yesterday that he bought 39 copies of the Forbes magazine. Um, oh my God, that's so cute. It's tremendously cute. Um, so I think... I think 39, that's all they had in the store. That's all they had. Yeah, it was all they had. Um, and he's gone to multiple places now, um, oh. which is funny because like my name, there's like one little line uh, of text with my name on it, but but he's obviously super happy. Um, uh, I lost track of your question, but, <laughs> but I figured that was... Um, a, a, no, that, I mean, it was, it was just more a... Uh, a shout out to your dad, who, by the way, um, I've met your dad. He's a wonderful man. And he has this expression that I've I've also inherited that I've, I've actually um, lied and said that I made it up, um, which is that you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And um, so thank you, Mr. Arab Shahi, for that dose of wisdom, which I now share with all of our So Money fans. I love it. Artine, let's um, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. Okay, okay. I'm in. ready. Let's go. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is um, travel for a year, uh, buy buy property in like up and coming neighborhoods, um, start a foundation that I've had in mind for a long time, um, and probably. Uh, start a ridiculously ambitious company um, doing something that typically capital restraints would hold me back from Elon Musk style. Mm, so you'd keep busy. You wouldn't just like, you know, lie I would, out on a beach somewhere. Uh, I would travel for a year, right? I would probably include a couple of beach days uh, in that. <laughs> job. But, but yeah, there's just so there's so many things that I that I would uh, that that would open up for me. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. What's the foundation? Uh, long story, but it's in the mental health space. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, 
maybe another episode. Yeah, definitely. When I splurge, I like to buy uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm not. I don't have a ton of uh, material possessions, uh, but I, I definitely spend the majority of my money on food and travel. Uh, so that's that's probably where where it all goes. One thing that makes my life easier or better that I spend on is housekeeper. Oh yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. It's I think it's like the best ROI versus opportunity cost um, that you can that you can get. It just makes life so much easier. <laughs> I think you're the youngest male to ever tell me that on the show. Oh man, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad no, thing. No, I think but <laughs> um, I respect that. I mean, obviously, I couldn't. My my life would be a mess without my cleaning lady, and um, I'm, I'm yeah. a neat freak. And my brother also. I I think it's important to invest in the things that make you happy and make you more productive and that you don't not really want to do. Yep. So exactly. right on. Well, and Todd and I, when we, li- I mean, we lived together in college and mm-hmm. we, we definitely paid for a housekeeper and I think we may have been some of the only college kids to do that. <laughs> yeah, but that's, like, that's really I, I starting think, young. I know we really did. We really did. But it, it, I honestly just think it frees up a lot of time for you to do other things. And, and I'm the same as you. I'm a huge neat freak. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the guy, I mean, if we, if we want a confessional moment, I'm the guy who pays a housekeeper to clean and do the laundry and all that type of stuff, but then comes home and like reorganizes the way that the laundry was folded. Oh, you're uh, OCD. I, that's, that's what some may call me. <laughs> um, remember Double Dare, the show Double Dare? Yeah. Okay. So the host of that show when we were kids there was like a whole 60 minutes on him one night because he actually was suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, wow. And I mean, the guy who tells the, the slime, who pushes the slime button, you know, like he yeah. was an absolute neat freak. Oh, my gosh. Which is so ironic, right? That he was like the host of Double Dare. Yeah. And he did that. He just, he reminded me of what he did. They had, a, they had footage of him. They had him, they would follow around in his home. And he was like, I'm so crazy that. We, the clean lady comes. She's amazing, and then I go after she leaves and reclean the house. Yeah, totally crazy. Totally. I'm not that bad, but yeah. but there are some things where I'm like, oh, I would have put that in a different direction. A little fun fact for all you uh, listeners out there: next time you're at a bar, you could just tell you. Remember that? Remember Mark? His name was Mark from Double Mark. Bear. Okay. Mark something. I remember the show. I, that's amazing. That is a good fun fact. I'm gonna pull that one out. I'm gonna tell people that that was my story, not yours. Double Dare host <laughs> Mark. Um, let me Google it right now. Mark Google. Summers. Mark Summers. Amazing. Yeah. Where what are a, they now? What a legend. Maybe you should get him on. I should have him on so money. That's, that's my goal for 2016 is to get him on so money. Um, all right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. I like to give to people directly, like mm-hmm. people I see on the street and I give them something because I can see the impact directly. Um, the, my favorite is is when you see people um, uh, selling stuff that they've created on the street. So like I saw this homeless person who set up a station on the side of the street where he was selling watercolors, like watercolor paintings. Um, and they were paintings that he made. Like he would sit there and make these watercolors and sell them for like $5 each um, rather than kind of just asking for money. There was some kind of exchange of value. Um, and I, I thought that was really, really profound. Um, and so I actually bought a lot of watercolors from that guy. Um, but yeah, so I like to give to people directly um, rather than kind of through various channels just because that way you can see the impact. 
Mm. Quick story. I was on the subway this morning and there was a guy asking for money. And I rarely give money on the subway. But for some reason, I just, I don't know, nothing that he said that was very compelling or heart-wrenching or anything but he was like hi my name's john and i live i'm from harlem and i live in the projects and i would really love to get a meal and if anybody has some money to spare and do you know like okay i would say 20 percent of the people on the subway train my Mm -hmm. car gave him money and i think it was really um charity inspires charity so like First, this woman gave him money, and then I gave him money, and then another person, and another person, and like yeah, definitely, it was like one of those things where we we just you know you just it was like the right time maybe like everybody just felt like in the mood to give this guy money, and because you know in New York you get hit up all the time, right? Of course, I just, I just thought that was really interesting that I don't think I think I think that's rare that like in one subway car like almost twenty five percent of the people like gave him dollars and um he was so appreciative it was kind of it was it was a it was a feel-good moment i think that that is kind of my um what i've become very you know sensitive or vulnerable or aware about is just that you know at the end of the day like every single homeless person has a a very deep long story behind them and 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 oftentimes they are people who you know were coming from uh traditional work life and then something happened and they ended up on the street right and so i think that Treating it with that level of of awareness uh, changes kind of uh, people's perspectives a lot on on who these people are and where mm-hmm. they come from. And he didn't really go into detail. You know, sometimes people are like give you this long winded story, and he was just like, "Hey, I really like, <laughs> like some money." Yeah, totally. Like, hey, this is I'm <laughs> honest like, and, and genuine. I was like, and, I like you. you just cut to the chase. Kind of, right. Exactly. Well, maybe he would. He should. Somebody should help him with his cold email campaign to a bunch <laughs> of people because it sounds like he has brevity and and ask covered. Yeah, yeah. It was it was an interesting moment. All right, Artine, let's kick. Let's just like you know, um, hit this out of the park. I'm Artine Arab Shahi. I'm so money because. Uh, because. You asked me to be on this podcast. Oh, no, no, no. You're so funny. That's so Iranian of you. <laughs> oh, come on. You won't let me like give you a little tarof? <laughs> no. Um, no, I will not. You have to really use this opportunity to brag about yourself a little bit because you've earned it. I'm so money because I genuinely believe in myself and my ability to accomplish what I set my mind to. Uh, and I think I know what that is. That is so money. Artine, thank you so much for gracing us with your time and your insights and your advice and your story. Congratulations, my friend, on everything that you've accomplished in such a short period of time. Looking forward to having you back when you start that foundation, when you find the next Google, when you make Forbes 40 under 40, (laughs) um, you know, and, and so much more. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Artine, his website is Artine in period LA. You can also follow him on Twitter at Artine in LA. He also, you don't want me to maybe tell you this, but he's got a really fun Instagram handle. It's called Artine in LA. So if you're an Instagram lover, follow him. He's hilarious. All this information, including the transcript, audio, 
and comments from this podcast episode available at somoneypodcast.com. And you can also, while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your question, type your question, and that goes right into my inbox. I read all the questions. I try to air a lot of them on the Ask Farnoosh episodes, which air on Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. So Money Millennial Week continues tomorrow with Bing Chen. Don't miss out. Hope your day is so money.